there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bone in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Psalm 3 in the ESV. Welcome to A Balm in Gilead, episode 3. As I said last week, Grant and I recorded a two and a half hour long episode and we decided to split it up into two sections. And so this episode is the continuation of the main topics covered in episodes one and two, but it was recorded directly after the bonus episode number one. So I do refer back to a few things from bonus episode number one. Um, So I do encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, Also, there won't be too much of a buffer leading into the main topic since that was bonus episode number one. So uh, without further ado, uh, Grant and I are just going to jump straight into the main topic. This has been already recorded, so there's not going to be much more of an introduction. Uh, but I hope that you enjoy it. This episode is going to be the uh, kind of the the crucial, if you want to understand what the rest of the podcast is going to be about, like as far as structure goes and as far as the, the content goes, uh, this is going to be a very helpful episode and uh, to help kind of understand where we are we going as we move forward. But I have uh, six very broad categories of things that I look for uh, whenever I'm listening to a song. Uh, especially when I'm vetting a song for church or whenever I am uh, looking at what I consider to be a good Christian song for entertainment value. Um, I mentioned in uh, the first or second episode how I see that, that there are five kind of broad categories of Christian music. The first being songs that are intended to be sung in church. The second are songs that are intended to be um, just for Christian entertainment from the Christian worldview. Um, The third are songs meant for entertainment that are written by Christians from the Christian worldview, but aren't like 
Christian, like aren't necessarily about who Jesus is, but just about life events and things like that. The fourth would be songs that are not from the Christian worldview, but that tackle real world issues, that raise good questions, uh, that still acknowledge problems in the world and like our need for something more. And then the fifth category would just be songs that just absolutely are horrid, that uh, that pay no respect to the biblical worldview at all, and that glorify um, that glorify sin, things like that. And uh, so these six categories are really for like these six things that I look for are really for the first two categories of music, for songs meant for church and songs meant for entertainment from the Christian worldview, specifically about Christian things. Uh, some of these six issues can be tailored and tweaked to help us with the other, uh, with especially categories three and four. I, I am a firm believer that category five is irredeemable and should not, we shouldn't as Christians enjoy them. Um, but uh, that this this what I'm I'm really wanting to talk about is, you know, what do I specifically look for when I'm listening to Christian music and, um, and just help, what questions do I ask as I am critically thinking through them? Um, there was a seventh category that I thought about putting in, but ultimately didn't. And that was the one of, should we look at the writer? Uh, is that important? And so we kind of talked about that already. Um, and so to segue from that. So if, if you think of that as something, the questions to, to ask, which I still think are pertinent questions, but not as pertinent as these next six, um, we'll, we'll kind of get into that. Um, the cool. Yeah. The, uh, the reasoning behind these particular six issues um, really stems from two specific scripture. And I want to start with that. And, one is uh, from the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy 6. It's uh, quoted by Jesus in the New Testament as well. And I think three of the four Gospels, maybe all four. Um, I should know that, but I didn't do that research. But that is, uh, you know, what is the greatest commandment? That is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Um, yeah, Deuteronomy 6. Yeah. Yeah, Deuteronomy six four is uh, tattooed onto my arm in Hebrew, so that's a little, oh, well, little known fact. <laughs> uh, it's written on my heart, man. Yeah, not not in between <laughs> your eyes like frontlets. Uh, not not yet. Not yet. All right, but um, and, and then the other, I guess the other two passages, uh, one just broadly speaking is uh in John four. And that's, uh, that the father is looking for true worshipers to worship him and true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And, yes. uh, finally in, uh, Romans 12, it says, offer your lives as a living sacrifice. And this is your act of worship. And so yes. these kind of concepts of spirit of truth, of living sacrifice, of loving the Lord with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Um, these are kind of, broadly speaking, what I'm thinking about 
if I can kind of put all that into different categories, that's what I'm thinking about when I'm looking into songs. All right, so the so the first category, and, and I'll I'll go through each of these categories in lightning round speed, and then we'll go back and talk very specifically about each one. And I'm also going to give some uh, some song examples of each of these. And nice. And since you can't actually legally play a clip of a song in a podcast, for those of you who don't know, we are going to link a uh, playlist, uh, a Spotify playlist of all of the songs that we mention in this section. And you can go through and listen to them at your own leisure, because a lot of them, it might be helpful to understand if, after you listen to the song. Um, that said, the first of the six categories that I, I look at is um, is law and gospel. And that ultimately, I guess, in short, it's what does the song say about Jesus and what does the song say about sin? Uh, the next section is um, scripture. And by that, I mean, like, can you literally tell what scripture this song is pulling from? And if you can't place your finger on any particular scripture that the song is pulling from, it raises a flag. Uh, the next is beauty. And uh, beauty can can be subjective, but it can also be objective. And when I am talking about beauty, I am talking specifically about how, um, how does the song compare to the objective beauty of God as the standard? And... In that particular case, I'm looking more of like the uh, kind of the soul. Like, how does it how does it touch your soul um, when you're thinking of heart, soul, mind, and strength? Uh, the next category is excellence. Like, how does this song strive to be excellent, and how does it strive to pursue Christ likeness and uh, and this kind of is loosely about kind of the heart aspect and the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, the next is truth. What does the song say is true? And does that truth reflect the truth of the scripture? And that is kind of the reflection of the mind. And finally, action. Uh, how does this song uh, call you to act? Does it call you toward, uh, toward mission, toward uh, fellowship? Uh, toward worship, or does it call you toward something else? And that is kind of the body aspect of it. And so uh, going back to the beginning of that list, looking at law and gospel, I have written some questions. I'm just going to read through them. It says, is the law accurately represented through the mention of sin and man's fallen condition, God's holiness, justice, and wrath, and man's desperate need for salvation. Um, and then I have a couple songs that I, I want to talk about just to kind of explain what I mean by all that. Again, I'm going to read that line again. It's a, Is the law accurately represented through the mention of sin and man's fallen condition, God's holiness, justice, and wrath, and man's desperate need for salvation? Um, these two particular songs I want to talk about. One is called I Want to Go Back by David Dunn. And the next is called Joy by For King and Country. Um, 
The song I Want to Go Back is a song that um, it places man's uh, like man's big issue that he needs to face in life is growing up. And he's talking about how when he was a kid, he used to love going to church and he used to love singing all the songs. But then as he got older, he got busy and he's, and he uh, lost the time to do that. He lost the ability to do that. He just wants to go back to Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And I want to go back to this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And it's, uh, you know, he is completely missing the point just completely <laughs> missing what it is that we need the like we first of all we are sinners he doesn't talk about that at all we need jesus because we are sinners doesn't talk about that at all he just talks about um uh, he really talks about i miss the milk like i can't yeah. even i can't even begin to think about sin and repentance and justice and wrath because i'm still still on milk and yeah. uh, and he's glorifying it. it it sounds to me like when my kids outgrew a particular favorite article of clothing and it had to go to the next one down they would sometimes uh, when they were younger they would sometimes say well when i'm a baby again then can i have <laughs> that one back and of course we'd say sure and yeah. that thankfully uh, assuaged the situation however as an adult saying essentially that same thing when I'm a baby again, I just want to go back to like that milk. Ah, I just remember that warm embrace and all the warm, fuzzy feelings of my church growing up. And if I could just capture that, but the problem with that is that it's elevating the personal feelings above gospel truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's, you can't, you know, he's, he's obviously not wrestling with sin because if he was, then he wouldn't want to go back to this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. He would be, he'd be broken. Yeah. Broken. And, and then hopefully moving forward saying, right. God, I'm ready to mortify sin. Um, yeah. you have shown that this is not honoring to you. What do I need to do to get this out of my life? Right. And, and so that's, that's why I, I chose that song to talk about there. Uh, the other one is uh, it's quite a bit more well-known called Joy by For King and Country. If you listen to Christian music at all, you've probably heard it. But uh, that that song starts, you know, lately I've been reeling. I've been watching the nightly news. Can't seem to find the rhythm. Just want to sing the blues. And it uh, goes on. And that's just, it's kind of like, I live in a broken world. And instead of acknowledging that the world is broken by sin. He says that the world is broken by a lack of joy mm-hmm. and that I choose joy. And so I don't need to worry anymore about the, about, you know, this, the headlines anymore because I've got joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And, uh, literally they, they quote that children's song as well. Um, <laughs> Maybe and that's a uh, common refrain there. Maybe so, but it's it's a uh, it's this uh, is crazy. It, he doesn't mention sin at all. Doesn't even really mention Jesus. He just says, you know, I, I've got joy now. 
And so because I've got joy, I don't need to worry about this. And and it's it's just so counter gospel. Um, well, even the the line that the pre-chorus there where it goes like gotta get the fire fire back in my bones, it's all about that personal experience and yeah. trying to somehow uh, just just force the Holy Spirit into my heart and make him move, you know, and uh, it's it's just not not right. You know, it's that's the the Bible says that the, the spirit shows up where the word is preached. Yeah, that's so is is that what they're saying? And I, I don't think so. No, no. And uh, and so that's that's just it's just crazy that that's what passes for good Christian music. Um and so let's see uh, the next category is about um, the gospel and so i kind of talked about the law now we're going to talk about the gospel um, and that's is the gospel accurately represented through the mention of jesus christ his completed work and his free gift of grace uh, again i'm going to repeat that is the gospel accurately represented through the mention of Jesus Christ, his completed work, and his free gift of grace. And uh, the two songs that I have mentioned here, one is called uh, Stand in Your Love, and the other is, is called uh, Love Broke Through. Uh, so Stand in Your Love, Josh Baldwin is the singer who, who performs this song. Mm. And, and this song is just so shallow and surface level um and it throws out like every single buzzword you can think of um that is not actually talking about the gospel like brokenness he talks darkness about darkness sorrow. sorrow talks about doubt fear fear is the big one shame fear, well fear is the big one and it's my fear doesn't stand a chance when i stand in your love is the chorus to the song. And it repeats that over and over and over again, like a mantra. My fear... Ironically that we're uh, saying, you, you know, ironically we are supposed to fear God, but right. um, apparently that doesn't quite make it in. Yeah. He doesn't talk about Jesus and he doesn't talk about sin at all. He, he talks about when darkness tries to roll over my bones. Um, and so darkness is the enemy, which, Satan, you can you can refer to Satan as you know the the Lord of Darkness or things like that, but it's he he goes further. He talks about you know when when you know shame when when uh, brokenness you know when all this stuff it, it's it isn't talking about Satan. It's talking about my circumstances and uh, and fear is a major. It's a circumstance. Fear is not a person. Fear is not. Uh, an embodiment of something fear is a circumstance and uh so he says my fear doesn't stand a chance when i stand in your love um never quite explaining who you is and um and th this this is a song that that really bothers me if, if you haven't figured that one out yet but um, <laughs> but everybody everybody has figured that out everybody has figured that out fear is a uh, it, it is an abstract external i am afraid of things there is something outside of me that i fear now you can argue that this fear is probably some sort of internal 
mental disorder. You know, you can you can argue that, but I would say that rational fears are something from from outside of me. There is something outside that is scaring me, and I am the victim. Whereas sin is a concrete internal. I sin. Sin is defined. Right. It is definable as willful rejection of who God is and what God has for me, and and I do that. I am not the victim. I am the villain. And mm-hmm. and using fear language instead of sin language turns the table, uh, or, or at least it often turns the table. Um, not every time. There are there are times where fear is completely justified and there are times where talking about fear is important um but in this particular instance in this particular instance every time i hear him say my fear doesn't stand a chance and i stand in your love i think of patrick swayze from donnie darko uh, and, and his fear love continuum and we need to get out of fear and we need to get into love because that's how we'll become better people and uh <laughs> and uh i don't know if you've ever seen that movie or not no, but, but you should, you should, you should watch it. It's fantastic film. You will watch it probably 15 times before you realize that you're not supposed to understand it. And, <laughs> uh, but the Patrick Swayze character, that's just who I see when I, when I hear this song. Um, now this other song, when love broke through by Toby Mac, I am not a big fan of Toby Mac. I, I, I just don't think his music is, is very deep. And I don't think that a lot of what he does is very good. But um, this line in this song is just beautiful. And it says, it says, I did all that I could to undo me, but you loved me enough to pursue me. And I think that is just very simple, very sweet. Um, and, it, and it captures so much. I did all that I could to undo me. I ran from you. I rejected you willfully. You know, I did everything in my power to avoid you at all costs, but you loved me enough to pursue me. And that is the gospel. You know, that, that is ultimately the gospel message. Um, does it need more words to be the full gospel? Absolutely. And that's why that's not the whole song, but little snippets like that, that can just anchor an, an immense truth are very good and Christian music needs more of those. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting example. And it brings up a really good question. Do you need the entire law and gospel, the entire gospel message in every single song? Is it, is it one song and you got to get everything in there uh, or else it should be rejected? That is actually an incredibly good question. And, um, the answer is yes and no. Um, I think that the song needs to have enough uh, to where it at least is. I think a song either needs to have the entire message succinctly or it needs to broadly go into a very specific part of the story. And I think more songs need to at, need to take hold of the part of the story that isn't God is love. Um, which is an important part of the story, but so much of the song, so much of the songs today, they, they take the approach of, I'm not going to tell the whole story. I'm just going to tell part of it, but they all tell the same part. And that's the happy part. That's the Jesus loves me part. That's the, 
um, I am forgiven part or the I am saved part, but they don't talk about why I need to be saved. And they don't talk about um, how I am saved very often and what I am saved from. And so in, in some respects, no, the song doesn't need to tell the whole story. However, we as songwriters need to be telling more of the story. And, uh, and I think ultimately this is the reason why there's a huge uh, worship war of the hymns versus praise songs, because praise songs can only take a portion of the story. You can't really realistically tell the whole story in the format of modern praise and worship music. Um, however, the hymn structure can and often does. You get your first verse that's talking about, you know, the foundational, you know, this is who God is. God is great. Uh, the second one is I sin. The third one is I am forgiven. And the fourth one is I will live forever. I mean, that is like this, like that is the cookie cutter um, song strategy for hymns. Is, yeah. My dad and I will actually joke, you know, because, uh, back in the day, sometimes, you know, people would say, we're only going to sing verses one and four today. And it's like, uh, <laughs> you're missing the point. <laughs> why, right. are we even, why are we even doing this? And <laughs> Have you ever heard anyone sing a mighty fortress is our God and just sing verse one of a mighty fortress uh, is our God? Well, that's all I have memorized. So that's all I sing. Uh, no, I, I haven't actually, we sang that at evening worship just um, a, a couple weeks ago and we sang, all six verses or whatever. There's four. So, uh, not at this church. Nice. <laughs> but um, it says on earth is not as equal referring right. to Satan. Mm -hmm. And that's how the verse one ends. And so if you right. just sing verse one, then you end with, and, and there's no one on earth that's equal to Satan. The end. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't work if you. Right. That's why you it. need to continue the story. But uh, I, I wrote a song once that I took, um, I took the song, um, I stand amazed in the presence, which mm -hmm. is, I took four verses of that song. You know, I did, you know, the first one is, you know, how great God is. The second one is talking about the garden. The third one is talking about Calvary. And then the fourth one is talking about heaven. Mm. And so I took these four verses and and I structured this, uh, you know, this modern style to this old hymn. And the song was like seven and a half minutes long to get all of it in there and still get the same sort of format that you would get in, uh, in a modern praise and worship song. Uh, and I really, really had to trim that sucker down. Uh, Why? Oceans is eight minutes long, dude. You're doing fine. I know. But Oceans also has repetition that you can cut and mine did not. Um, Are you saying that oceans can be squeezed into a 30 second song? I am. Okay. Or better yet, you can squeeze it into a zero second song and wait, not sing wait, it. wait, then you wouldn't sing it at all. That is probably true. Um, <laughs> if you haven't noticed by, by now, no, um, I'm not a fan of oceans. That said, let's move on. I'm a fan of oceans. 11. Yes, I was actually I was pleasantly surprised by Ocean's Eight, but that oh, is oh I haven't seen that yet. That's that is way really way really off getting topic. off topic. So, 
That said, uh, the next uh, section is uh, scripture. And this is talking about like verbatim scripture or, um, you know, scripture paraphrasing. It, I think every song needs to touch on scripture a little bit. If it doesn't touch on it at all, I don't, I don't think we should be using it in church uh, with maybe some exceptions. But uh, I am going to make that broad statement now. Please correct me if I'm wrong. David McCookie says you should only sing scripture and it should be the Psalms and you shouldn't touch them. Um, that said, uh, here's my kind of my question for scripture. And it's, is there any discernible specific scripture that is accurately represented? And uh, I've got two songs that, uh, that are just, they're just crazy. One is called uh, Witness by Jordan Felice and the other is called Warrior by Hannah Kerr. Uh, in witness, it says, your love is moving mountains every day of my life, every day of my life. And um, it's just this one random line from the song. But it's he is taking two very specific scriptural images and putting them together and completely missing the point of both of them. Uh, and, <laughs> and you can't you can't do that. You can't take <laughs> a scriptural image and say it's something else. Uh, he clearly he doesn't understand what moving mountains means um, because it isn't the love of God that's moving mountains. And also, what does it mean in the context of the song? It doesn't mean anything in the context of the song. But in scripture, it's my faith. If I have faith, faith even the size of a mustard seed then I can move a mountain and throw it into the sea. Now, I'm not actually the one moving the mountain. It is God that would be moving the mountain, but I would be having faith that God would move the mountain if I asked him to. And it's also a metaphor, and it's not talking about a physical mountain, because oh. as far as I know, God has not moved any physical mountains for any of his followers. Um, however, he does make amazing changes to life circumstances he performs miracles he does things uh when his when his uh, followers act on faith and that was the whole point of that passage was even if you have the smallest of faith uh you can still you can do amazing things but even then the passage was implying you should be growing in your faith your faith the size of a mustard seed should grow into a flower into a plant in a tree that is the biggest one of all and you and your faith should grow and and then you'll be able to do even more things and nowhere in, in this entire passage does it talk about the love of god which isn't necessarily unimportant but it just isn't what the what the passage was about and so uh jordan felice is he's just throwing out bible words and it completely to me discredits the rest of the song if he can't even get like a simple passage correct, um, then I don't I don't trust him to to interpret the rest of scripture correctly if he can't even get something that simple down. Um, it's grace gracefully graces me. It's grace gracefully gra graces me, e i e i o. And if you it, we'll just we'll link that in the show notes as well. It'll be in there. You're not gonna know what it is. Just click on it. Trust us. In <laughs> um, the Hannah Kerr song, she says. Faith is my shield. His love is the armor. And again, 
throwing out the love of God just to be doing it and completely missing the rest of uh, the point of this, of the passage in Ephesians six, it talks about um, the armor of God, one of which is the, the shield of faith. So faith is a shield uh, and faith can protect us. If I have faith in God, I can resist temptation and I can uh, stop the fiery darts of Satan. This is what Paul is talking about. But the rest of the armor is the, the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, the, the, the uh, belt of truth and the shoes of the gospel of peace. And the one weapon that we have is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And so this is this image um, that Paul uses to explain how we can stand against the devil and against temptation and how we can fight for, uh, for the gospel. And, and uh, he uses these different attributes as pieces of armor, none of which are the love of God. And so not that, again, that the love of God is unimportant. It's just not what this passage is about. And so again, similar, I can't take the rest of her song seriously if she can't get something really simple correct. And so uh, both Jordan Felice and Hannah Kerr, I, when I'm listening to their songs, I listen with an incredible fine-tooth comb because if they can't get a very simple piece of scripture correct, can I trust them to get something more important correct? And, uh, and so that's, that's just, that's what I mean when I'm talking about uh, using scripture uh, correctly and accurately representing it. Um, when going on to the category of beauty, um, this one, it, this one can be a little bit more complicated because beauty does get subjective. But I say um, the questions that I have are, do the lyrics utilize poetic devices, form, and mnemonic to grasp for objective beauty and memorability? Uh, There's a lot of big words there. There I are. Think we better break down what does mnemonic mean there? I'm talking specifically about uh, things like um, consonants and assonance, which are pieces of music and pieces of, of lyrics that can help you remember things well. Um, gotcha. So like when you put like a song to uh, uh, like when you put a song to the ABCs to learn the ABCs better, or when you say, uh, to remember the order of operations, uh, it's please excuse my dear aunt Sally. Is that right. what you're kind of talking about there? Yeah. And, uh, and so that, that's, that's what I mean. Like, is it using things that are both grasping for the spirit and the truth when looking for beauty? And um, so that, that's what I mean by mnemonic. Gotcha. And uh, the songs that I have for these, uh, uh, one that's a bad example is the song How He Loves by John Mark McMillan. And, uh, and I just want to read this. This is from, this is verse two of this song. It says, and we are his portion and he is our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. And heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. 
and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves. And there's just some lines in here that are, I'd say, anti-mnemonic. They don't make any sense. Um, Like, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes? What does that mean? When he looks on me, he shows grace? Um just by looking at me, I mean, it, it, that kind of takes away his work. If all he's doing is looking at me to show me grace and that kind of doesn't take the cross into account. If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. I guess that means that his grace is very vast and that we're sinking. Uh, the sloppy wet kiss was incredibly, uh, controversial when that came out. And, uh, even, an unforeseen kiss, which is how David Crowder sings it, still doesn't really make sense. Heaven meets earth like like a kiss. Uh, when Saying when Jesus came to earth, that was when heaven was meeting earth, and it's something romantic. It's not... That doesn't really line up with what the Bible says. My heart turns violently inside of my chest. I really hope not, because that, I really hope that that is figurative and not literal. Um, and I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves. Um, you know, I get what he's saying. Like, I, I'm not so thick that I can't figure out what he's trying to communicate, but he's doing it in a way that is an entire appeal to emotions and not to truth at all. And he's saying things that aren't necessarily right and that don't necessarily tell the whole truth. Um, and he's doing it all so that he can be poetic. And that's, that's I guess, where the rub is, is he's doing this so that he can make some pretty phrases. Um, and I want to point out a line in uh, the song, So Will I, uh, 100,000 or 100 billion X by uh, Hillsong United. And re-recorded by everybody by everybody i think yeah and if you're a christian who listens to like three christian songs on spotify it will get recommended to you uh in every iteration possible and um aside from two words in the song i think this is the best song that's ever come out of hillsong united uh, whoa you've heard it here first folks yes right here um Obviously, I don't believe in theistic evolution, and so that's very important, and this song supports it. But there's a line that I just think is absolutely gorgeous, and it says, On a hill you created, the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And this is how we use poetry to communicate the gospel. This is how we use beauty in, in lyrics to communicate the truth of the gospel on a hill you created the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. Uh, the very next line kind of goes incredibly shallow and it just drives me in crazy, but um, we're not talking about that song on this episode, so I will move on. But I think that that is, that's how we can use uh, 
use beauty. That's that's what we need to do when we're looking at beauty. Uh, my next question is more about music, and it says, does the music utilize prosody and surprise to grasp for objective beauty and memorability? Uh, prosody is everything working in unison to tell the same story. And then surprise uh, is kind of an element of that. And that's, um, is the song, does the song have a certain level of predict of predictability, but not too much predictability? Does it do things from time to time to draw you back in that, that you're not expecting? And uh, honestly, I would say the entire album of Supernatural by DC Talk lacks these things. You may disagree with me, but I really Jeez, man. I know. I really think you should Just go like back and listen to one it. One album and you're like, well, uh, that one's not very prosistic or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but you should go back and listen to it. But um specifically the songs My Friend So Long and Into Jesus are um are songs that just show an incredible lack of prosody. Um, Into Jesus is kind of like this. If you read the lyrics, you think of a very upbeat song. Um, but then you listen to it and it's, Hey, you, I'm into Jesus. Oh, yeah. Hey, you. And it's just like, what are you trying to communicate? Are you trying to communicate that that following Jesus is dark and dismal? Or are you trying to urge those around you to join you in being quote unquote into Jesus. Um, and then the opposite, my friend so long is talking, it's really a sad story about deconversion, but it's done in such a way that it becomes incredibly snarky, which may have been their intent to be snarky, but uh, if they had done it somber, it would have taken on a completely different meaning that would have been very deep and convicting. And so I argue that they should have been deep and convicting with a song about deconversion, and they should have been peppy and upbeat on a song about following Jesus. Um, but I'd say another song that is that gets it very, very, very well is called uh, Breathe by Johnny Diaz. And this song, I think, has the best prosody of any song I've ever heard. Um, the song starts and it's got this intense drum beat, just like this boom, 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 during the whole uh, first verse. And the song is about being busy and about not slowing down, about having to keep up with those around me. And then it gets to the chorus and it just becomes this entirely like super reverb. Uh, the only drum that you kind of hear is almost like a heartbeat. And um, and the, the word is breathe, just breathe. Uh, come and rest at my feet and be just be when chaos comes and all you really want is to just breathe. And then it goes back into the busy um, drum beat again. And it's, and it's pulling from the scripture of um, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Uh, it doesn't say it directly, but it uses enough to, to that's what it's referencing. And if you think of it in that context, it makes the most sense, but it's just this, like the, the day can get away from us so easy. It's just this truth of, of life. Everything around us is just calling for our attention and everything is busy. We don't even have time to think, but if we can just come to Jesus and rest at his feet, then that is where we will find the truth.
And uh, the song just, it really communicates that very well through prosody and surprise. All right. And uh, the next category is uh, it's, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on, on what I'm calling it. I'm settling on excellence, but I've also called it enjoyment or delight. The idea is kind of, uh, you know, how can we take delight in something while enjoying it uh, for, you know, entertainment value, but also enjoying it in uh, the way that, you know, how uh, question one on the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, um, you know, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so if songs are reflecting Christ and if they're reflecting God properly, we should be able to enjoy them uh, in a way that's that includes entertainment, but is just deeper and, and more vast than, than entertainment. And so that's that's kind of what I mean when I'm talking about excellence. And uh, and as far as the heart, soul, mind, strength, this is kind of like the, the heart aspect uh, where soul was uh, where soul was beauty uh, heart is excellence uh, and uh, the the question that I have for that uh, just kind of lead into it is are the lyrics crafted creative clever and clear in a way that show discernible care and attention to word choice grammar and syntax I'm gonna read that again it says are the lyrics crafted, creative, clever, and clear in a way that uh, shows discernible care and attention to word choice, grammar, and syntax? I, I have a, a whole lot going on in that. I tried to be as succinct as I could with this. Particular... So that all has to do with heart there. Like, uh, like coming from the heart, is that kind of what you're after? Or, well, um... uh, you know, heart in that particular passage isn't talking necessarily about love or emotions. It involves love and emotions, but it also, uh, it also has an idea of, uh, mental capacity as well. Like, you know, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. That that's not, you know, I'm, it's not, I'm not having like a romantic relationship. I'm, I'm storing it up in my memory. And so, Jesus isn't your boyfriend. Jesus is not my boyfriend. Gotcha. Um, but so, so what I mean by this and, and by reflecting of the heart, the heart is kind of the more holistic of, of all of those, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength heart kind of involves all of it. And then the rest kind of stem away from that. Um, so this is kind of, it's more holistic. And so as a result, uh, it's it's very very broad. Um, in fact, when I was trying to come up with songs to uh, to talk about here, I had like fifteen songs at one point <laughs> that I had to whittle down um, because there's so many different angles that you can that you can view this. And uh, instead of talking about all fifteen or however many songs now, I figure when we uh, get to the excellence portion in the podcast you know we're probably going to dedicate like 24 episodes to excellence and so we can definitely include more songs then but i did want to talk about a few uh that are really just interesting um there's one in particular uh called brave by uh mariah uh, peters and uh it opens with the line no one ever told me this would be easy but I never knew that it could be this hard. Uh, 
the first time I heard the song, I immediately thought of The Scientist by Coldplay, uh, <laughs> where the chorus says, nobody said it was easy. Uh, it's such a shame for us to part. Nobody said it was easy, but no one ever said it would be this hard. Um, but even for Coldplay, that's just an incredibly cliche thing to say. I mean, it's it's not clever at all. It's not creative at all, um, especially for Mariah Peters who had probably heard The Scientist, uh, because, I mean, everyone has heard the song The Scientist. And I don't know, it's just to, to open a song with a line that just completely lacks any creativity or cleverness or originality or anything, it's like the whole song is just like, I can't, I'm not even going to be able to to respect that that song um <laughs> the rest of the song it doesn't get better but um uh, i did want to talk about a song that does do really well in, in this regard as, as far as the lyrics um matt Thiessen is one of my all-time favorite lyricists and this song is probably the one that i think just does like he just shines the most it's called up and up uh, Reliant K is the band and mm-hmm. he has three syllable rhymes in this. It says, uh, cause it seems I get so hung up on the history of what's gone wrong and the hope of a new day is sometimes hard to see. And though I'm finally catching on to it and know the past is just a conduit and the light there at the end is where I'll be. And I'm on the up and up. Um, that is just those lyrics have a lot going on. Uh, they've got three syllable rhymes. They've got just some really clever ways of saying things. Uh, he uses a little bit of cliche in there, but he does it in a way that he makes it his. Uh, and, you know, like hung up on isn't an original line, but he uses that to, to go into a three syllable rhyme on the next line. And it's just, if you're going to say something that's not original, you have to do it in original way. And Matt Thiessen is just very, very, very good at, at taking phrases like that and turning them on their head and making them his. And so uh, just a huge fan of, of him as, as a lyricist. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I, there are three other songs that I want to talk about on lyrics before I head into music. And they kind of all go together. Uh, in that they tackle the same issue, which is um, which is colloquial language. We we talked a little bit about colloquial language before, which pretty sure you brought it up because you knew I was going to talk about it now. And just <laughs> in your mind, but uh, there's th- always a step ahead. Always a step ahead. You read the show notes. Um, so these three songs: it's a uh, it's Thy Will by Hillary Scott. Maybe It's Okay by We Are Messengers and Freedom Hymn by Austin French. And uh, just throwing this out there, I like all three of these songs. I think all three of these songs are written very well for the most part. Uh, And this is kind of a discussion that we're going to have. And that is, um, when is colloquial language okay? When is uh, bad grammar possibly not part of colloquial language even though it might seem like it is and when does language evolve to the point where poor grammar is just how is it becomes proper grammar um so in thy will there's a line that says i know you're good but this don't feel good right now 
the correct word is doesn't. I know you're good, but this doesn't feel good right now. Or uh, <laughs> to, to get the correct um, rhythm, uh, but I don't feel good right now. You know, I know you're good, but I don't feel good right now. Um, that, but she's Hillary Scott, who she's the lead singer of Lady Annabellum, country singer. Uh, it's very, very colloquial to use the word don't instead of doesn't. It's completely natural. And uh, in her case, I think it's acceptable. I do think that because of the serious nature of the song, I would have rather her not have used a colloquial language there. She doesn't use it anywhere else in the song. Um, and so it feels a little bit more like a mistake is if you don't know who she is or what else she sings. Um, however, she won a Grammy on this song, so I don't think anyone else cares. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a Brian problem right here. This is this a Brian is... problem. It's just <laughs> it's just to kind of get the conversation going. Uh the next line yeah. from the We Are Messenger song, Maybe It's Okay, which I really like this song. I, I think it's a very interesting song. Is it takes a really interesting perspective. But this line kind of feels like it might be colloquial language, except for it's just bad. It's the kind of colloquial language that makes you always like anytime you hear someone say it like uh like uh, have you ate yet i hate that when have, do, you, do you run into that at all like like have, not have, too often uh i may or may not be a purveyor of certain uh colloquialisms my, myself uh yeah. so i i find it really hard to throw rocks at other people's glass <laughs> houses sure you know if you live in a if you live in a rock house you shouldn't throw glass yeah, no, that's that's a lesson that we can all learn. It is a lesson we can all learn. Um, mm. But this line, it says, and if all of my shame hadn't drove me to hide in the shadows, then I wouldn't know the beauty of being free. In an otherwise mm. gorgeous line, it should say, <laughs> and if all of my shame hadn't driven me to hide in the shadows, then I wouldn't know the beauty of being free. And when I sing it in the car... I sing it driven me. I just add the line. There's a pause right after the word me and it fits. You see fine. driven like really loudly. Like, yeah. And if all of my shame had driven shame. me to hide uh, in driven the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, that like that one line, that one word, it just like, <sighs> like that's huge pet peeve. I just hate it. Uh, it's like, come on. How did this make it? Not just only past the writer, past the editors, past any friends of his, past the producer, past the publisher. I mean, it made this this awful word made it past so many people. And it's like every time that I hear it, it's just like there's like this red highlighter over it. And it's like <laughs> it's like, come on. So anyway, uh so that's that's I don't think this was a colloquial word. I think this was a mistake. Um yeah, I could be wrong. But it's one of those, like, I'm sure people talk like that, which is probably how it ended up in there. But it's like, that's a colloquial language that we need to, like, correct people on the spot and say, stop saying it like that. Um, but that's just maybe me being judgmental and throwing throwing glass. Um, and I'm I'm aware I'm saying that phrase wrong. It's, it's intention. Um, oh, oh, okay. And so, the, right. and so the next line... Uh, from Freedom Hymn, and this is just an example. Uh, I like the song Freedom Hymn. That's probably why I chose this one. 
but the Who You Say I Am by Hillsong Worship has this exact same line in it because it's quoting scripture. Um, mm-hmm. However, most scripture translations use proper grammar in this particular verse. And so anyway, but it's who the sun sets free is free indeed. Uh, it should be whom the sun whom? sets free is free. Who, indeed. If okay. audio adrenaline can get it right. Oh, wow. Then wow. Austin French. You had to bring them right. up. Well, you, yeah, this is, this is, that was what sparked the colloquial language conversation earlier. Uh, how they, <sighs> they, they actually use the word whom in their song. Um, I'm looking this up. This is John eight, 31, 32 ish. Oh, let's see here. I am. Come on. Good old trusty. Let's get this right. Yeah. Okay. John. It's where he's like, um, telling, talking to the uh, Pharisees and they're like accusing him and Jesus is like laying it down. Uh, Okay. So John eight thirty two is, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it is correct grammar. However, at least in the ESV, it does not use the word who or whom. Well, it's, it's, but I think it's a different I would verse. assume that it, it's got to be. I think, it's, I think it's a different verse that you're oh. thinking of. Well, bummer. Okay. But. Uh, That's what I was thinking of. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you continue to look that up while, while I while I talk about how okay, all right. how grammar changes and and how uh, it, it is the English language is a very hodgepodge language and it does evolve. Uh, we we no longer say things like thee and thou um, or uh, you know there, there's just different things that like different words like uh, the word awful a w e f u l uh, meant full of awe, whereas the word A-W-F-U-L means terrible. And so at one point... Quite some, a dichotomy there. Right. So at some point, if someone were to say this was awful, they it would be a high compliment. But now it is the opposite. And so there are different words that, uh, that do change over time. Uh, sometimes culture pushes to have certain words change. And sometimes culture gets lazy with with difficult grammar laws. Uh, like the word often used to be like the pronunciation was often. But so many people said often that it became an acceptable tra- an acceptable pronunciation of the word. Um, but it was not always. Or like the Oxford comma. Should you use the Oxford comma or not? Yes. Yes, yes, you, you absolutely. There is there, actually a wrong answer there, and it would be to not use the Oxford comma. I, I, I agree. Come at me, haters. All right. So I, I, I got to say, I, I looked it up, and um, I could have just looked down a you, couple verses more to verse 36, where it reads, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. However, I'm not finding anything about where, yeah. where, where it's who, man. Maybe yeah. it's a different translation. Maybe so. But you know who likes the Oxford comma? Um, okay, I'll bite who uh, or whom. Whom. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my parents, President, They're good jo- people. President George Bush and Hillary mm. Clinton. Mm. Well, there's a mix there that you uh, 
cannot ignore. I mean, you're going to find somebody in that mix who enjoys the Oxford comma. Well, depending on how you read that sentence, if there's an Oxford comma or not, I'm, I'm implying that my parents are president George Bush and Hillary Clinton. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I get what you're trying to do. Very clever. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So, uh, I, I argue that, that who the sun sets free is free. Indeed is okay but i'm still gonna sing at home um but that's this kind of this idea of excellence just bringing it back to that if you're going to pursue excellence you have to get grammar right um colloquial language doesn't mean wrong grammar it could be colloquially right though it could also be colloquially wrong and so it just depends on your audiences. It depends on who you are. And, um, you know, honestly, if you can get away with not using colloquial language, I think you should, but like Hillary Scott can, can do a very common colloquial country phrase of a word because that's who she is. And that's who's listening to her music. And they're not even going to notice. Um, well, and I'd argue it's a style of the music too. Yeah. I mean, it's not just, who she is. I mean, that's part of it. Absolutely. But it's also just, I mean, that's, that's the style of the music. Yeah. And we are actually going to talk a little bit more about colloquial language in our next episode, just briefly. Um, buckle up. So buckle up. Now we're, we're going to review a song line by line next week that, mm. uh, or in two weeks, how, whenever, whenever, um, uh, that uses a lot of colloquial language (laughs) and um and i think that there's a line where it gets to be too much um so like a line here a line there is is fine as long as it's not distracting but it can get distracting and i think that's really what it comes to is if if it's distracting then uh then you should think twice about it but if no one is even going to notice like who the sun sets free i guarantee that most people younger than us don't even know that there, that there is a word whom. Um, and so they wouldn't even know that they're choosing the wrong word because they don't know the other word exists, which in, you know, 15 years, no, it's going to be even more that case. Um, so going on, uh, we talked about lyrics and we're going to talk about music. Uh, and it's very similar. This, this question will look very similar. And it's, is the music crafted, creative, clever, and clear in a way that shows discernible care and attention to melody, chord structure, and basic music theory understanding. Uh, I'm going to say that again. And it's, is the music crafted, creative, clever, and clear in a way that shows discernible care and attention to melody, chord structure, and basic music theory understanding? Um, Music theory is a major thing in constructing music. If you don't know theoretically how to put musical parts together, then your song is going to be bad. Like you can't just go from an E major to an A major to a G major to a D major to a C sharp minor. Um, Robots can't write music. Is that what you're saying? Probably. And so you (laughs) you can't just do things like that or you can't just switch. uh, You can't like just switch meter in the middle of a verse. Now you can switch meter in the middle of a verse and you can use chords that are outside of the particular, um, 
of the particular key, but you have to do so intentionally and and you have to do so in a way that isn't distracting. That might be very, very interesting musically. That's going to uh, to really keep the listener attentive. And that's part of the surprise that I talked about earlier with the prosody and surprise. But you have to be very, very intentional. And you have to understand music theory to be able to make those kind of choices. Um, melody, there's certain rules in writing a melody to, to have one that is considered enjoyable. Um, and also there's like rhythm is another aspect um, that goes along with melody and basic music theory understanding. You can have two melodies that are identical, but if the rhythms are different, then you don't notice that the melodies are identical. But if you have two melodies, if you have two songs that have the same melody and the same rhythm, then they're going to be like, those. that's the same song. And mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that in a little bit more. Chord structure is another big thing. Uh, you may have heard before that if you know four chords on a guitar then you can play any song that is make sure you have the jesus chord down yeah yeah the jesus chord uh that that chord is incredibly important if you're playing in the key of c but if you're playing in the key of g then you need the jesus chord down which isn't as right which is not as holy um but if you have no idea what i just said then <laughs> you need to get a better basic understanding of music theory. And uh, so if you know how to play the G, the C2, the D suspended, and the E minor 7 on a guitar, you can play most songs and you're only moving two fingers. So you're keeping two fingers firmly planted on two strings and then you're moving two fingers around within very easy distance of moving. It is incredibly easy to learn those four chords, and you can literally play just about every pop song that's ever been written um, to, to a degree. Like you can arrange just about every pop song that's ever been written. Unless the song is like super artsy that actually like tried to be written in order to not be able to play it that way, you can play most <laughs> songs like that. And there's, there's YouTube channels full of people proving this, um, intentionally proving it. Like there's this one guy that like, he, I think he like this, he plays, uh, the, the song all-star. Like he just has the music playing for all-star. Hey man, you're an all-star or no, he plays different songs, different tunes and sings all-star to it. That's what it is. So he'll like, <laughs> he'll, he'll put like some random song on and he'll sing the, the melody of all-star to it. And it's, it's hilarious. But, um, so it's the only song he knows, but he plays it to every karaoke available just to, just to prove the point that, you know, to that most songs out there are really not very creative. Um, speaking of not very creative, I'm going to list some songs. I'm going to talk a little bit about them, but these are in the, the Spotify playlist that we have linked in the show notes. I really, really encourage you to go and listen to these uh, because you can't actually play clips of songs legally in a podcast. Um, I actually looked up all sorts of advice, like how much of a song can you play? They said, in this particular case, we, we could have a defense to where if we got sued, we could say, hey, I'm just doing it to explain the song and we'd probably get off, but we would still in the process have gotten sued and had to go to all the trouble in defending ourselves. And most advice said, just don't. That said, and that, that's the whole fair use clause and defense thing but um 
the song Mended by Matthew West, um, the verses of that song are eerily similar to the chorus in the song Somebody That I Used to Know by Giotti. <laughs> and uh, it's, it is eerie. Like, it's, it's funny almost how similar these two songs are. Uh, because I don't know that Matthew West listens to Giotti. Um, I, I'm sure he's... I pretty, don't know. I mean, he may, Maybe. He might. I don't know. But the next one is even more ridiculous because I do know that David Crowder has had to have heard the song I Want Candy because everyone has heard the song I Want Candy. Uh, but Run Devil Run, da 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 I mean, it is the identical I tune. I want candy. Um, I got a song to make the devil gonna run. I want candy. Want candy. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, <laughs> it's it is so much the same. And then um, then there's another song uh, "Thrive" by um, by Casting Crowns, it, which has a lot of banjo in it, and it's very folk sounding, uh, which is very different for that band style. There there is a melody. Uh, like there's a musical riff that is very, very similar to Mumford and Sons, the cave. Um, I think there's a melody and a musical riff. Like it's, it's really, really, really weird. They're not the same, um, but they just sound very, very similar, especially with the banjo going on in the, <laughs> yeah, in, in the song. It, it just, I don't know. It feels really, really, really bizarre. Uh, so those, those six songs I just mentioned, uh, three Christian, three secular. Um, I, just go and listen to it, and, and and decide for yourself what you think about those. But all three of those uh, pairings just kind of—I don't know. Like since it's so, since those secular songs are just so prevalent, and uh, I don't know. I, I think everyone that hears them probably thought, "Man, that just sounds really familiar." Like that just sounds really weird, and it's distracting almost, and it's. And, you know, I, like these three Christian bands, Matthew West and Crowder and uh, Casting Crowns, I just, I think better of them. And so I don't know. Um, I do want to talk about a few songs that uh, I thought did really well in the area of music theory. Uh, one is it's Revelation Song by Carrie Joby. Uh, the song is in a different chord structure than uh than is normal uh when you think of like you might have heard the terms major and minor like a major key or a minor key what a lot of people don't know is that that's two of seven uh there there is something called major key which is the normal standard there's something called the minor key which is fairly normal but not incredibly often used uh, which is also called Aeolian mode. Mm-hmm. But there are um, there are five other different modes of songs that you can do that are neither major nor minor, but are just different modes. Uh, one is called Dorian mode, and that is, um, uh, if you know the, the hymn, What Wondrous Love Is This, that is in Dorian mode. And, you know, at the end of the song, when you get to the last word you kind of feel like it should like step down one more to kind of resolve fully but it never does and you always wonder why it's because it's in something called dorian mode and that's just how that that um, chord structure works 
Uh, there's one called Lydian, and there's another called Mixolydian that I get mixed up. So I'm sorry, I forgot to look this one up. But you should play the scale. Yeah, maybe maybe as an addendum, you could just uh, whip out your guitar and maybe play a Dorian <laughs> scale and a Lydian scale and Mixolydian scale and major minors and yeah. the Aeolian. Right. If you have access to a piano or a keyboard, you can do this at home. Where if you know where C is and you just play the white keys, you can go, you know, C D E F G A B C. That is that is uh, your standard. Um, major scale if you start on d and only play the white notes d e f g a b c d that's dorian mode uh, if you do it from f or from g one of those is lydian and one of them is mixolydian and they both sound really 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 similar to major but just not quite and revelation song falls into one of those and uh, as I said, if I had done my research and remembered to look that one up, I could tell you which one it was. But it's <laughs> or one do of those what I two. do, or do what I do and go to Rick Beato on YouTube, and he explains it all. Yeah, and He's so uh, quite good. I don't know if you ever do. You, do you listen to him? I, I don't. I've not heard of him. Anyway, yeah, I, I check him out on YouTube. All right. So, so that's why revelation song, it kind of has like this airy feel to it, like this kind of ethereal feel to it. And that's why is because it's not in a standard major key. It's in a different, they're called church modes because back in the day when they tuned pianos, like pianos today are not actually in tune. If you have a piano that is considered quote unquote in tune, it's slightly off but it's slightly off in the way that every key is identical. If you tune a piano precisely to the key of C and you try to play something in the key of G, it would sound really off, which is why these church modes first came into being because um, someone may not be able to sing a song in C, like it just may be out of their range and they needed to do it in G. So they would do it in this church mode instead. And, uh, so that's kind of how it started because a lot of I had no idea. Oh that's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I think it's called even temperament tuning is what it's called now. And that came about like in the time of Mozart, like that, that was discovered. And so that's why Mozart has a, has a symphony in every single key imaginable because he could, whereas previously <laughs> he could not. Uh, so that's, that's just some music history for you. Uh, and if I am wrong, then I'm sure that that Brad could probably tell me I'm wrong. Our faithful listeners out there future. are going to be writing in. Our faithful if future you listeners. find yourself yelling at your iPod, please <laughs> iPod. write in on uh, the uh, Slack channel, uh, Tech Reformation, which we've mentioned prior. Yeah. Um, and so the... the uh, another song is called Fear No More uh, by Building 429. And uh, that song, like right when it gets to its climax, it does something called modulating. Modulating is where you take, uh, where you change keys. Uh, you go up a key and it kind of like raises the roof a little bit. It makes things more intense and it kind of has this nice feel to it. And, and so uh, not a lot of songs modulate these days. If you go to church and listen to like special music, you've probably heard modulations all the time. Oh yeah. Um, key change. Key change. Uh, you ever see the video where the guy is like really pompous and he's like, 
yeah, man. So I like been singing this song and I once sang it, I just did a duet with it with the guy that wrote it. And I'd like really just sang circles around him and I'm so great at singing. And so now we're going to sing the song and it's a uh, looking for a city. Have you seen that video? No, but I think we should link it in the show notes. Yeah. And so if you don't know, it's pretty amazing. If you don't know what a modulation is, uh, there's like 800 of them in that song. And the guy couldn't, <laughs> the guy was not very good at singing. Um, and I feel really bad for the, whole congregation that was listening to an entire concert by the guy so anyway so that's what a modulation is and then um yeah it's the little thing that you know that singers do because they can easily but you know they have no idea what they're doing to their accompanist who all of a sudden has to throw in like six black keys and, and and like three white keys just to like keep up yeah so there's a there's another song called reason uh by unspoken and mm-hmm. this song kind of going into the second chorus, the end of the second verse, going into the second chorus, they play a chord that is just not in the natural key. And, uh, and it has this really, really cool effect to it to where you're not expecting it. It's, it's what I mean when I'm talking about surprise. Um, but it just, it required an understanding of music theory to pull it off. So again, go and listen to that song, listen through the second uh, verse into that second chorus and you'll hear what I'm saying. Um, And actually we're kind of messing around with this earlier, but the song lost the plot does this as well. Uh, Newsboys, the great song. I think that's our collective favorite. That is our collective favorite. The pentultimate tract in, uh, in the album, take me to your leader. Uh, they Which throw... there are many hits on. Yes, but it is the pentultimate. That means the second to last. Yes, but it is also the ultimate, as in the best. It is the ultimate, as in the best. It is the pentultimate on the album. Um, but it, it throws out a lot of chords that aren't natural to the key. And, uh, and they have interesting effects to it. And uh, it also makes it really hard to just play on the guitar when you're just trying to listen to it and figure it out. Um, that said, uh, yeah, you should, you should go and check out those songs and, and uh, kind of listen to that for your own. Um, but let's move on to the, the next category is truth and truth is a lot more straightforward and it is, uh, do all the truth claims line up with the truth of scripture alone? I'm going to say it again. Do all of the truth claims line up with the truth of scripture alone. Um, There are, and this is important to distinguish between truth claims and uh, truth inferences. Um, A song can say something with the presupposition that you know what they're going to, to understand, but then a, a song can also just make a statement that stands on its own. Um, The, uh, a truth inference would be um, of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. The song does not say God is reckless. It talks about the reckless love of God, and so it makes an it in, it uh, makes an inference that God is reckless and that His love is reckless, but it doesn't actually say it. And so that's that's tricky, and that's where a lot of the defense of that song comes in um but if the song had blatantly said um something like oh your love you oh reckless god of mine then 
I think people would have more trouble accepting that as a song. Um, but then there are other songs that uh, make actual truth claims that don't actually line up with scripture. Um, one in particular I want to talk about uh, is a song Prodigal by Sidewalk Prophets. And this is one of those, like, I know what they meant, but I don't think they spent enough time really thinking through this line. And it says, um, it says, don't ever believe, quote unquote, you don't deserve love. The song, the context of the song is talking about the lies of Satan. Like, don't believe the lies of Satan. And one of his lies is you don't deserve love, quote unquote. Um, And so it's making a statement that that is a lie that you don't deserve love quote unquote is a lie from Satan. However, uh, the word deserve is really, really important in that Mm. line because we don't deserve love. That's the whole point of grace. Uh, you know, in Romans three 23, it says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans six 23, it says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we do, uh, we, we, we do deserve death. We don't deserve love. That is a truth of the gospel that without that truth of the gospel, uh, you know, Jesus sacrifice was for not. Um, and so I, the, the band obviously doesn't believe that like they, if they had really sat down and if someone had pointed that out to them, they would have probably changed it. I, I do believe that was um, that they misspoke uh, with that particular line because they have another song called you loved me anyway, which is gorgeous. And it's um, you know, I was, I was the man who yelled out in the crowd um, for your blood to be spilled uh, on this earth shaking ground, but you loved me anyway. And so they get it. They, they understand the, the truth, but that song did not, uh, it did not actually proclaim the truth. And so we just need to be careful when we are making a truth claim that we are actually backing up that claim with scripture, uh, truth inferences. We need to be careful with those as well, but, um, there's a little bit more, there's a little bit more area to be artistic with, with an inference. Um, but we should, anytime that we're trying to say something is true, we're trying to compare something to the truth of scripture. We need to do it right. Um, otherwise, uh, that's called being a false teacher, which we don't want to be. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the next section I'd say is, is even a little less straightforward, but it's action. Uh, oh yeah. Truth is, uh, mind love the Lord with all your mind. And then action is love the Lord with all your body, uh, or all your might. Um, and it's, does the message of the song call the listener toward, uh, toward doxology, which would be worship, um, mission or fellowship. Uh, I'm going to say that again. Does the message of the song call the listener toward doxology, mission, or fellowship? And rolled within fellowship, I also think discipleship. So does the song uh, encourage you toward uh, toward responding in worship, 
responding in mission or evangelism, or does it uh, call you to respond in fellowship, growing closer with the body and encouraging one another? Uh, And those three are all very good calls of action. If it's calling you toward anything else, then you need that it raises a flag. So if it's calling you toward uh, paying restitution for your uh, for your great great grandfather owned slaves, that's not the gospel. You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it could be, um, and I don't want to get into the yeah, whole social justice a thing. Bad example. <laughs> well, it's. It isn't a bad example because there are songs that kind of call for that. Not not directly, but along the same lines. Uh, I, I think of um, Mendisa's song, Bleed the Same. Um, it's all about social justice. And, and it's calling us to, not that particular, but it's calling us toward following into the same social justice calls of action that eventually lead down that road. Um, and, uh, and so that's, it, it's just crazy to think that songs could be calling you to something so counter gospel. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about two songs in particular that have very definite calls to action and both of the, the calls to action are literally like empty. Um, one is called Do Something by Matthew West, and the other is called Talk About It by Brandon Murphy. I'm just going to read from these songs. Uh, the Do Something says, I'm so tired of talking about how we are God's hands and feet, but it's easier to say than to be. Like uh, Live like angels of apathy who tell ourselves, it's all right, somebody else will do something. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of life with no desire. I don't want a flame. I want a fire. And I want to be the one who stands up and says, I'm going to do something. So just kind of reading from a couple of these lines, he literally is saying, I'm so tired of talking about how we're going to be God's hands and feet. It's easier to say than to be. So uh, I want to be the one who stands up and says, I'm going to do something. I'm so tired of people talking about it, but I'm going to stand up and say, I'm going to do something. I'm tired about talking about it. So I'm going to stand up and talk about it. Right. Like that's literally what he is saying. Like th- this, this song also like the, there are some truth claims in this song that are just not found in the Bible. Um, like he says, I looked up at God and I said, why don't you do something? And God says, I did. I made you. And it's like, what? <laughs> Where book and chapter, please. Um, <laughs> And so uh, this, this other song, very, very similar. Uh, it's called Talk About It. It says, uh, we can't move with all the elephants in the room. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. Bite my tongue. It's like we're suffocating love. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. Truth be told, there's so much hope that needs to be heard, but no one says a word. It's time we talk about it. We've been dancing all around this for too long. Let's talk about it. We ain't going nowhere till we work this out. What is he talking about? He's talking about talking about an issue. He He's like, we don't talk about it. So I'm just going to talk about talking about it without actually talking about it while also getting on to people who are only talking about talking about things. Well, you could argue that's about being on mission. I mean, you could 
you could uh, argue that from that that particular snippet of the song, the they're talking about going and sharing the the gospel with others. Uh, but he? I take your point. There's yeah. there's so much hope that needs to be heard is the only hint that talks about the gospel. Right. But uh the you know how like or lot of radio stations will do like a behind the music? They I heard one on this and he was like, Yeah, there's just like so much that people just aren't talking about. So I wrote the song so people can can think about talking about their issues without, you know, and and it's like you're still not picking an issue. He there's so much hope that needs to be heard. Hope is such a vague word. Yes, you you think gospel, and so that's how you so you put that in there. He's not talking about the gospel. He doesn't talk about Jesus. He doesn't talk about sin. He doesn't even talk about. Um, he just says people need to there. There's stuff that needs to be heard, and but no one's talking, so we should talk about it. And this is this is the majority of the song. Um, well, there's also some oh whoa oh whoa oh oh whoa oh whoa oh. That's true. That's true. We uh-huh. we definitely need some more of that. Um, but yeah, both of those songs have that same issue where they're like, they're, they're raising decent points saying, you know, something needs to be done. Something does need to be done. We, we do need to get out and, and preach. There is hope that needs to be heard and we should get out and talk about it. But if he's going to like take the time to actually record a song about talking about hard issues, he needs to address hard issues. Uh, at least one, at least pick one issue and talk about it. Other than the issue being that we don't talk about things because it's just circular. Um, so the issue is that we don't talk about things. Right. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Which I'm always up for because it demands very little of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, that, that wraps up the the, the six different um, categories that we will be going on. Um, you know, right now this is episode three and in our next episode, we're going to actually take full songs and, and kind of do line by line uh, reviews of certain songs and applying uh, these different uh, categories to, to those reviews. Um, and then our next four episodes we're going to really dive deep into the idea of why do we sing? Like why is singing important? And it's still going to be kind of very broad and very, um, uh, I'd say introductory. And if you think of this podcast, like a book, these first four episodes are kind of like the introduction to the book. And the next four will kind of be like the preface to the book. And then we'll dive into like the, like there's set the six sections of the book and each section will be, uh, will be one of each of these six uh, things that I look at. So all that we've talked about today, uh, we'll have 24 episodes about law and gospel, 24 episodes about scripture, 24 episodes about beauty, 24 episodes about excellence, 24 episodes about truth and 24 episodes about action. And that will bring us right up to 152. Um, and that's kind of the idea of, of where this podcast is going. We'll probably do each major section as its own season. Um, we kind of have talked about maybe going weekly once we get to that section. So starting with week nine or episode nine, 
going weekly and maybe taking a, a week off in between each four episodes or uh, maybe taking a month off after each 24 episodes and kind of breaking it up into different seasons. Um, yeah, but that's that's kind of how uh, this, this podcast is going to be structured. Just to wrap it all up, that's uh, six different categories where we want to look at how various songs kind of adhere or don't adhere to that and uh, talk about why that might be. Yeah. uh, Looking forward to it. And I do want to uh, just make one statement that uh, most songs aren't going to do well in each of these categories. Uh, They might do well in five, but kind of falter in one. And that's okay. Like a song doesn't have to like score an outstanding uh, grade in each of these six categories to be useful. And I'd say some, especially like in the category of just Christian entertainment music, uh, they don't need to have major truth claims. If it makes a truth claim, it needs to be true, but they don't need to have a truth claim in them. Whereas I'd say songs for the church probably should have truth claims in them. Um, as well as a song that is just about entertainment doesn't necessarily need to quote scripture, whereas a song in church probably should. Um, but these are just uh, these are just kind of ideas. These are things to help me begin to uh, to think through songs, and and they're I, th- I think they're very helpful. But these are not scripture. They're not inerrant. Uh, they are something I created, and, and I do want to to have that disclaimer with it. And, and, uh, these have grown with me. I, these have changed since I came up with them and, you know, before I die, I'm sure they will change again, but I think this is a very succinct, uh, way that I have it right now. And, uh, it, it makes sense to me. Um, but it, I'd say that it is incredibly important to remember that it is on Christ, the solid rock that I stand and, all other ground is There is a bomb in the eye to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in the eye to heal the sensitive for listening to the Balming Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback 
So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.